I wanted I wanted to do something, so and I I hope this is okay, but um, this is um, this is what I think life should look like. Like this right here. This see this. See this. Good morning, Dana. Okay, that was kind of freaky, huh? Okay, Audra, Audra, give me some. Okay, good. We put brakes on our car this week. Jonathan, give me some. This guy is rescuing my son from his car problems. This is this is what life should look like. Hello, uh, are you are you in the house? Are, are you catching on what I'm saying? Missy, how are you? Give me some. Good, Andre. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, are you hearing what I'm saying? And and here's what I want you to here's what I want you to to see. This is it's intentional. It's intentional that we that we love, that we build, that we go out of our way to tear down the lives of the enemy that want to divide, destroy, separate, harm. We it's very important that we're intentional. It's extremely important that we're intentional because. The wall of division has been torn down, Ephesians 2. It wasn't just Jew to Gentile. It was Gentile to Gentile. It was all. There is not to be a tribal spirit in the world any longer. There's to be a spirit of unity and love for one another. And so intentionally, we superimpose that on all of our relationships. Amen? Yes? Come on, you can be louder than that. I know you can. Yeah, amen. So I could, I could, I could, uh, I could embarrass more of you, of the uh, Hispanic uh, background and the uh, Far East background and other things. We have every, we have a lot of assortment represented here, right? Um, so, and uh, my perspective on all of this, and I wish it was yours. I hope it's yours. But my perspective on all of this is that it's very much to my perspective on my marriage is that uh, I don't compete with Joel, she completes me. When, when God created woman, he took something out of man. Hello, hello, remember? And, and so she actually completes me, right? This is the way, this is the way I see the races as well, is that, uh, that you complete me. I'm not whole without you that God put something in the races and we need one another. And when we're fighting over one another or fighting with one another or competing with one another, it's as if we are whole by ourselves, but we are not. We actually need each other. And so there is, there's pre-wiring. There's like a pre-wiring from the assembly line that, that, our, that our races have within them uh, software and, and systems, right, that makes them a little different than each other. And when we all come together, then we're whole. When we come together, then, and I, I don't, I don't want to be alone. Joel and I don't, don't want to live in an all-white world, to be honest with you. We just, whoo. Because we're better off with all of you. We're, we're better together. Amen? Does that offend you? Does that bother you? Is that okay? I don't know. I, I, hope, I hope that's okay. Hallelujah. So that wasn't the word. So we can't close in prayer. 
Okay, so what I want to do, though, Joel uh, started last week kind of launching us on some thoughts about nations and not just about America, but about nations. And uh, we've been tormenting ourselves with this book that you need to get. Uh, Papa Dick went out and bought it, and so he's been reading it. Uh, This is a great book written by a man from India. Some of the greatest, sharpest minds on the planet are coming out of India because God has made a great deposit in them. Hello. Isn't that fun? So anyway, this book, you got to get it. you got to read it uh, because it really, uh, it backs up everything Pastor ever says. Every lie I've ever told you, it is verified in here. Uh, The book that made your world or the subtitle, How the Bible Created the Soul of the Western Civilization. Now, here's the thing. If we, don't, if we don't know our history, we're in trouble. We have to know our history. Uh, and, uh, and knowing our history is real important, and I don't know that I'll get to it today, but, but over the next week or so, I hope to read to you a section out of Jonathan Wesley in here. And I want to read to you what life was like uh, when he came on the scene and what happened and what he did, because... I really believe, and I, I don't want to preach that before I can preach it, but I really believe that we are not knowing our history is harming us, and we are letting the politically correct influence of today's culture silence us and quiet us down. And we also have become a very fearful people, and uh, we, we, we count our lives way too precious. Hello, somebody. Uh, so I, I remember growing up, I was afraid of the rapture, and I was afraid of being uh, left behind, and I was afraid that, uh, so, you know, if I came home and mom and dad weren't there and I didn't know where they were, you know, I was a little concerned. Maybe I missed the rapture, you know. It's a, so you always keep your heart tuned up, you know, repent of sin real quick because you don't want to miss the rapture, you know. And, and so I was always, you know, watching for that, you know, and I was going somewhere with that. I don't remember where now. Knowing our history, though, is so important. You know what I'm talking about. Knowing our history is so important, and knowing what so many went through. Now, what I was thinking in those days was, Lord, don't come until I get my driver's license. I don't know. I didn't think about sex. Honestly, I I wasn't worried about that. I wanted a car, and I wanted to drive, and I wanted to drive like a wolf boy. I wanted to drive fast. Oh, as fast as I could drive. Hallelujah. So uh, so the Lord listened to my prayer, and the rapture didn't take place. I got my driver's license. Now I'm wondering, where in the world are you, Lord? Okay, so but we gotta, we, we've got we to gotta know our history. What, I, what, what we do sometimes is we count life so dear that we're not willing to risk anything for the greater good, which is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the increase of the kingdom. And that takes me back to Revelation twelve eleven, where it says, they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life, even unto the death. It's only a kamikaze generation. It's only a people willing to die who will advance the kingdom. If you're not willing to give up, you can't go up. 
Amen. And if we hang on to our life, of course, what happens is even in that generation, a generation that hangs on to their lives will lose life. They will lose. If we love life too much, then we'll lose the very essence of what we have. And we're living in that kind of a moment right now where we need to make a shift within the church. The church needs to make a shift. God's calling us to make a shift where we begin to become a little bit more risky and uh, a little bit less fixated on our own pleasure. Amen? Uh, And so uh, let's talk a little bit about some of where we're at right now. There's been a bit of a decline of Christianity in America. Uh, Pastor Joel was talking last week about how important America is. Uh, One of the things that just blew me away, it got me upset, it got me a little bit frustrated. I I don't know. I think we need to hear some of these things more often. Uh, 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 maybe, Maybe somehow reiterate some of that. Give me some of what you put out last week on some of these things, and we'll throw them out in the blog maybe and just kind of keep. But one of those things was that the world sends their elite to America for education. This is really scary. It's extremely scary. The, the world is sending. It used to be really cool. And we used to be able to pop our buttons. You'll notice I popped several this morning. We used to be able to pop our buttons in uh, some kind of you know educational pride that the world sends their elite to America for education. But now it's actually quite scary when, like when Jasmine goes back to George Washington University a few years ago, some of you remember that, she goes back to work on her master's degree, and she's the only conservative person in the whole school. Hello, somebody. I mean, we're in the hub of D.C. We're, we're in a school named after George Washington. And it's filled with a liberal bias that is making Father wonder what in the world's going on. I mean, they're starting boat building plans up in heaven again. I mean, just, no, the rainbow, the rainbow. Forget about that. Sorry. But do you hear what I'm saying? I, I'm, uh, uh, it, we're... The world is sending their elite to our schools, and our schools are teaching and telling them things that are totally contrary to what we have believed biblically, historically, since the founding of our nation. This is scary stuff. Uh, and uh, it made me think, you know, we, we need, again, an education takeover. The reason that this has happened is because, one of the reasons, is that the enemy saw the power of grabbing the minds of our young people and of the world through education. And so this is one of the citadels that the demonic realm has schemed, one of the mountains, one of the spheres of influence that must be taken. And so while we were singing Kumbaya and hoping for the rapture, They were invading education, invading our schools, and taking over the schools that began by spirit-filled believers. Princeton and Yale and Harvard and all of our schools started by believers who, out of a heart, out of a heart of love, would release education and bring forth that which would shape a culture to be productive and wondrous and reflect the glory of God. 
And now the opposite's happening. So thinking a little bit about uh, the declining influence of Christianity in America, the church in America, uh, we have seen a decline. There has been a, a bit of a decline. Um, and um, I wanted to talk about a couple things that have fed into that. Uh, there's some purpose for me bringing emphasis to a couple of the things that have fed into that. Um, one is that we have had, uh, we have had uh, our mainline churches taken over by the unbelieving and the ultra-liberal. Our mainline churches have been taken over. Now, some of you remember um, my story about three, four years ago when I went to Olympia to argue about House Bill 1523. Uh, some of you heard me talk about that, which was a transgender bill. And, and uh, there were like 49 of us gathered there to argue uh, uh, pro uh, uh, against the bill and about 49 gathered to argue uh, for the bill. The odd thing that I took away that day, that it was the revelation that I hadn't seen before, it really hadn't hadn't really been quickened in my brain in such a powerful way before, uh, was that all of those arguing for the bill all claimed to be Christians, as did those who argued against the bill. So this is the oddity. I remember the Episcopal minister getting up to make statements after I had finished mine, and I remember him getting up and and the first thing he did was introduce himself as, uh, I'm a Christian as well. Uh, I'm a minister, uh, etc. And kind of giving his Christian credentials before he went into his argument uh, as to uh, why this should be allowed uh, in our state. So this, this is interesting. I, I want to read you a little bit uh, at the risk of boring you. There's people that are smarter than me on some of these topics, and so I want to read to you a little bit. Uh, but again, part of what I want to do is quicken you today that this is not a time to, uh, this is not a time to compromise, not a time to retreat, not a time to back up, not a time to be quiet, not a time for you to uh, wonder if you're on track, if you're in the right if you're doing the right thing by, uh, by asking for more of God. Hello, somebody. Uh, you're on the right track. Uh, in the book Exodus, David Shiflet explains what's been happening. The book is called Exodus. Uh, the subtitle, Why Americans Are Fleeing Liberal Churches for Conservative Christianity. This book is an important contribution to uh, the compelling evidence that liberal Christianity is fastly imploding upon itself. Shiflet, an established reporter and author, has written for the Washington Post, the Weekly Standard, the National Review, the Wall Street Journal, Investors Business Daily, among other major media. He's an author of Christianity on Trial and a member of the White House Writers Group. His instincts as a reporter led him to see a big story behind membership decline in liberal denominations. Here's what he found. Americans are vacating progressive pews and flocking to churches that offer more traditional versions of Christianity. 
He asserts most people go to church to get something they cannot get elsewhere, and the consuming public, people who already believe or who are attempting to believe, who want their children to believe, go to church to learn about the mysterious truth on which the Christian religion is built. They want good news, not the minister's political views or intellectual coaching. The latter is creating vacancies in the pews. Indeed, those empty pews can be considered the earthly reward for abandoning heaven as it's traditionally understood. Citing recent polls by the Glen Mary Research Center, he reports that the Presbyterian Church USA declined by 11% over the previous decade from 90 to 2000, while the United Methodists lost 6.7%. Episcopalian, uh, Episcopal Church lost 5.3%. However, there's bigger numbers, and I'll give those to you in a minute. The United Church of Christ abandoned by 14.8% of its members. American Baptists reduced by 57 On the other side of the theological divide, most conservative denominations are growing. Conservative denominations are experiencing significant growth, such as Missionary Alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance, 21% up during that same time period, Evangelical Free, Assemblies of God, Southern Baptist, etc., we would include non-denomination, but that isn't so much in here, like us, Foursquare, etc., These trends are not new, but these trends are an overview of what's been happening. The more liberal Protestant denominations have been losing members by the thousands since 1960, or right around the time that prayer was taken out of schools, with the Episcopalian Church losing fully one-half of its members in that period. Shiflet was told the biblical condemnation of homosexuality has been considered by thoughtful people who have decided that the texts really don't mean what they appear to mean. This opinion came from an Episcopal bishop stating, Many people believe any homosexual activity is purely prohibited by Scripture, but other Christians don't take the Scripture seriously or who take the, serious, the Scripture seriously believe that the Bible... Re- Writers were not addressing the realities of people in a permanent homosexual orientation living in a faithful monogamous relationship and that the relevant Scripture support for those relationships is similar to the expectations of a faithful Scripture place on marriage. In other words, what the Bible writers were trying to say is have one wife or have one husband. Follow what I'm saying? So, in other words, monogamy was really the topic, not gender. As long as you're in one monogamous relationship for a lifetime, then let it be the relationship of choosing, is what they have said. Hello? Kind of crazy. More importantly, Shiflet understands that doctrinal beliefs are crucial, the crucial variable determining whether churches and denominations grow or decline. He deals with the, stati- the statistical data honestly as he points to the larger context and the underlying factors at work. From a former seminar- seminarian student, Shiflet was told that liberal Protestantism is doomed. 
mainline Protestantism will reach a certain point where it will appeal only to Wiccans, vegetarians, sandal wearers, and people who play the recorder. No one will feel at home in a Protestant church, if liberal Protestant church, if they believe in God. You laugh so hard you might have missed the recorder part. Did you miss that? There's something special about Kumbaya. Patrick Buchanan, how many of you know who that is? Patrick J. Buchanan? Some of you do. Uh, He wrote uh, just recently, and uh, this is what he said. I think it's worth reading a little bit of this. This is a Christian nation, said the Supreme Court in 1892. America was born a Christian nation, echoed Woodrow Wilson. Harry Truman affirmed it. This is a Christian nation. But in 2009, Barack Obama begged to differ. He said, we do not consider ourselves a Christian nation. Comes now a Pew Research Center survey that reveals the United States is de-Christianizing at an accelerating rate. 86% of Americans in 1990 identified as Christians, but by 2007, that was down to 78%. Today, only 7 in 10 say they are Christians. If the percentage of those describing themselves as atheists, agnostics, the the percentage, the percentage of those describing themselves as atheists, atheists, agnostics, or non-believers has risen to 23%. Those in mainline Protestant churches, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopalian, have plummeted from 50% of the U.S. population in 1958 to 14% today. The decline in Christian identity is greatest among the young. While 85% of Americans born before 1945 called themselves Christians, only 57% of those after 1980. Here's what he says. And this is, this is the sad part. Whenever I hear stuff like this, and, 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 and again, there's so much of us framing the present situation in the context of what we see right now, and then we go on to prophesy doom and gloom and the coming of the Antichrist. If Wesley would have done that, Europe wouldn't have been saved. There would have been no great awakening. Wesley and Whitfield and those who partnered with him, thousands of circuit-riding ministers and pastors, revival that spread across Europe and all of America would have never happened if they would have believed the writings of today's theologians, editors, news reporters and authors, authors as well. Thank God they didn't have all of that to shut them up. Uh, uh, The influence alone of Wesley on Wilberforce and then, therefore, the slave trade and the slave movement, just the emphasis of Wesley on the nations would, would blow your mind. And I'm so glad that they... They, they weren't filled with the naysaying. And, here, and here's what Buchanan goes on to say. And it, it gets worse, so I just shut it off. I just I scratched through that part. We won't read that part. I don't want to depress you. We're in church. But here's what he said. 
If we want to see our future, we should probably look to Europe, where Catholic Ireland just voted in a landslide to legalize same-sex marriage. And by the way, he wrote this a month before we voted in same-sex marriage last year. Kind of scary. And where cathedrals and churches are being turned into tourist attractions and museums, bars, and restaurants. So if we want to see our future, that's what we should do. Okay? That's Patrick Buchanan's viewpoint. My viewpoint is if we want to see our future, we should look at the Word. We should look to Jesus. We should be full of faith. I really believe I heard the voice of the Lord one day say, just as there's been a restoration of unrighteousness in America, there will be most assuredly a restoration of righteousness in America. God will again have his day in America, and it won't be because we've forced it through legislation. It will be because he has won the hearts of men. And what we have to see is that Satan is actually creating for him, for us, the Full Employment Act. I love this. This is my perspective on things, is that Satan is digging a pit for which he will be caught in. He is in, he's setting a snare. He will be ensnared in, and that he is creating the Full Employment Act for us. And this is why we have to be fully alive. We have to be fully awake. Matthew 5, we are a light We cannot be hidden under a bushel. We are salt. We cannot lose our flavor, our savor. And and the liberal church that has lost its savor and flavor is good for nothing to be be trampled under by men and to be cast out. The very thing that Satan is telling you, the way to have an appeal with people, the way to grow a church, the way to, the way to, the, the way to, the way to get along is to go along is exactly the lie he wants you to believe. And again, if we look historically, we look at historically, we have to look at what those before us have endured as they laid down their lives to live the gospel, share the gospel, be the gospel. Amen? We have to look at that and and know that, that there's so much hope ahead of us. So much hope ahead of us. Now, here's one problem. Uh, one problem. I'm running out of time. I'm totally out of time. Okay, if the rapture doesn't take place, will you come back next week? Thank you. Thank you very much. Here is a problem, though, is that even, in, even before the senators in Washington State about three or four years ago when I argued that bill, the senators sat there just dumbfounded. They're like, you know, they don't know who in the world to believe. Which Christian should they believe? You know, Daniel steps forward, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they step forward and they say, we won't bow down. And then other Christians step forward and say, we will. We'll be glad to bow down. Oh, bowing down is, is in order. So which, uh, which Christians do we believe, Right. And this is part of what's happening. This is part of why these churches must become, and, and I'm going to prophesy that there will be a tran- transition and a change in our schools and universities of which, of which they've taken over, of which they've taken over. Those schools are either going to shut down or they're going to be transitioned and revolutionized by those who know their God Because even as these liberal churches that will not declare the truth, preach the truth, acknowledge the truth, walk in the truth, 
even as they are now emptied and becoming empty, also will the schools that they are knit to, and God will once again raise up righteous, the righteous in education. He will once again raise up schools, even if he has to recreate brand new Oxfords, brand new Yales, and brand new Princetons, he will raise up schools in this nation that will be the finest of the schools, that will train the finest, that will love him, revere him, and revere his word. Now, here's what I was going to say, that the liberal Antichrist church has created confusion in the nation, division in the nation, impurity in the nation, duplicity, hypocritical, this, this duplistic, hypocritical church that seeks to please rather than seeks to cleanse. So this branch of the church has to go the way of dinosaurs, and a fiery church will replace it. Don't apologize for fire. A fiery church. God is raising up a fiery church. Remember what he says in Revelation 3. I would rather you hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, right? Don't use this microphone later. He wants a hot church. He wants a fiery church. He wants a church that's in love with him. And you're a part of that. He's raising you up. Don't apologize for who you are. Don't apologize. Don't back up. Don't, don't backpedal. Don't repent of your righteousness. Repent of sin. It's not a time to give up on the church. It's not a time to be ashamed of the church. It's not a time to water down the Word of God. Amen? When the Word of God prevails, people come to the Lord. 3,000 were saved that day. The Word of God prevailed. Yes? All right. So, uh, Michael, did you do any? Did you have any success at all? Really? Okay. All right. Then we're, we're going to skip that. Okay. So, next week, next week, I'm going to talk about how evangelical churches, including ones like ours, have been sidetracked, sidelined by a theology that's included the increase of Satan, the Antichrist, and, uh, and how it's confused our prayers, uh, it's silenced our voice, it's taken us out of culture. Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. Is that all right? I'm going to say some very radical things that might upset you. You might call me a heretic when I'm done. You might seek to go to more of a rapture-friendly church. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, so, and what I will do, I will be careful. I will be careful to, uh, I will be careful to frame everything that I say with Scripture. Uh, and I will also be careful to let you know that it's my opinion. That if you have, so as I share on these things, if you have a differing opinion, it's not the essence of salvation. Uh, so it's okay. We can hug each other. Amen? So we can, we can still, we can both be saved, both be friends. We can work together, love each other, reach out together, and have differing views of what's coming. But I happen to like my view. All right, we're going to close uh, with reading about Wesley real quick.
So in the seventeen uh, in the seventeen hundreds, life was a mess. And I'm going to just kind of I'm going to try to skip through some of this stuff the best I can. Uh, but I want to read about the mess. Okay. So the the and it was very similar to what I, we just discussed, by the way. So. Um, You okay? Are you patient? Patiently waiting? Okay. Uh, in 1738, two centuries after the Reformation, Bishop Berkeley declared that religion and morality in Britain had collapsed to a degree that had never been known before in any Christian country. The important reason for the degeneration of Protestant England were the restoration of the monarchy and the supremacy of the Anglican Church at the end of the 17th century. So toward the end of the 1600s, once the Anglican Church came back to power, it began to oppress the Puritans, the righteous, the fiery ones, and expelled more than 400 conscientious Anglican clergymen who were fiery themselves and couldn't agree to the liberal garbly goo that was being foisted upon them. They had become priests to serve God, therefore they refused an oath of allegiance the combined impact of these developments was to leave the church bereft of or absent of prophets, the prophetic voice. What's God been doing with us recently? Developing the, not just us, but the church. The fiery church, he's been restoring what in the fiery church? The prophetic voice. Why are you so quiet? What's going on? Matters were made worse by the degree uh, prohibiting Anglican bishops and clergy from meeting together to deliberate on ecclesiastical matters. With little correction, encouragement, or accountability, the moral life of the priest began to degenerate, lowering the standards for the whole nation. If the church goes down, what happens to the nation? The whole nation goes down. The rise of the Enlightenment toward the end of the 17th century, into the 1600s, through the 18th century made the situation Hopeless deism or natural religion taught that God is not involved in the affairs of the world. He's given no law, neither watching over you, nor to judge, punish, or reward. God's just an uninvolved creator. That belief took away the fear of God. The Bible was still available, but it was not the word of God. It was just another book about wisdom and virtue. A national church publicly muzzled with its prophetic and priestly wings clipped could not refute deists and skeptics. Deism progressed to rationalism, skepticism, atheism, and finally cynicism. Once biblical truth was undermined, biblical morality began to lose ground. The corruption of the clergy of the Church of England spread from top to bottom. A succession of archbishops and bishops lived luxuriously, neglecting their duties, unashamedly soliciting the abuse of the people through finances and the parish clergy followed suit. Beginning with Queen Anne, the royal to begin to fill their courts and couriers who flaunt, with couriers who flaunted levity and practiced every sort of vice. Serious Christians began staying away from Oxford and Cambridge, where the dons bus, busied themselves in their books while undergraduates immersed themselves in wine, women, sport, and song. A corrupt church with closed scriptures, darkened most aspects of English life. 
By the Treaty of Utrecht in 1713, England had wrung from France and Spain the monopoly of the slave trade. The slave trade bred and fed financial greed. It brutalized masters and slaves' lives, making labor undignified. That became a curse on the economic and political life of the 18th century. The Industrial Revolution was gradually spreading, and the attitudes of the slave traders influenced many owners of mines, factories, and mills in the treatment of their workers. The atrocities, barbatries, I don't know, barbaric lifestyle. Practice in industry was bad enough, but those that were carried out on the slave ships and in plantations would chill one's blood. It was estimated that during this century, the number of Africans carried into slavery, largely in British ships and largely from West Africa to America, ran into the millions. There was some... slavery in England as well, and because of the enormous sums of money involved in the slave slave trade, there were repeated financial scandals leading to loss and ruin. It's one minute after 11.30. Should I go on for another minute or two? The chief of which was the South Sea bubble of 1720 that virtually wrecked the national economy Dishonesty fortified more dishonesty. Dishonesty. Corruption spread like cancer. Nepotism, place-seeking, bribery became the order of the day in politics, especially at election times. Uh, he just goes on. It just it's worse. It, it, the, uh, it gets worse. So he says pornography was terrible. Uh, that uh, that playhouses were built all across England and Europe. And everywhere that they were built, uh, brothels were built all around them. So sexual impurity was just as crazy as ever. Um, The poor couldn't have any kind of um, fair treatment. Uh, That uh, executions in London were actually known as hanging shows. And that the the poor were executed rampantly. So we're talking about a really, really... Crazy bad time, right? Child abuse, only four, uh, four out of every five children did not live past the age of five due to child abuse and um, the treatment of children that ended their lives. Um, the public arena was filled with every kind of sport like uh, fist fighting, cock fighting, uh, cage fighting, um, Bull, bear, badger, and dog. Gambling filled the nation. Um, sound a little familiar? And it was on that, it was in that kind of a day that uh, Jonathan Wesley uh, had a born again experience when he was 35 years old. And um, the church wouldn't allow these guys to preach, and so they just started preaching in open fields because the church would not allow them to preach in their buildings. So they just started preaching everywhere else, right? And uh, uh, I have to read this to you. Uh, can the band come? With the first open-air sermon... By Jonathan Wesley, the Great Awakening, the Evangelical Revival was born. 
but it was to be reared for many years in an atmosphere of insolence, contempt, abuse, and violence. In other words, these guys were not loved, and they were especially not loved by the Church of England, the Anglican Church, and the liberal church. They were hated. For three decades, magistrates, squires, and clergy turned a blind eye to the continual drunken and brutal attacks by mobs and gangs on Wesley and his supporters. Wesley endured physical assault with missiles of various kinds. Frequently, bulls would be driven into the midst of the congregational gatherings. Musical instruments and horns blared to drown out his voice. Time after time, the Wesleys and George Whitfield narrowly escaped death while several of their fellow itinerant preachers were attacked and their houses set on fire. Hundreds of anti-revival publications appeared as did regular, inaccurate, and scurious newspaper reports and articles. And the most virulent attacks, not surprisingly, came from priests who referred to Wesley as like a scoundrel, uh, a mystery of iniquity, a diabolical seducer, an imposter, and a fanatic. After a few years, uh, anyway, these guys didn't give up. Uh, There's more. It's crazy. Let's stand. What happened is they began to want, they began to win. Eventually, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands were converted. Eventually, their war on the enemy began to overpower the enemy, and the tide culturally began to shift, and there was a restoration of righteousness. I was thinking today, the thought came to me today, that it's at a moment like this, even where we're at right now, that we're, you know, we're hoping for an Elijah and an Elisha, you know, to show up, sweep us all away, get us out of here. Unfortunately, not like the Puritans, there's really no new nation to run off to. But we are the Elishas of this day. Amen? So you remember when John the Baptist came? When John the Baptist came, he was the Elijah. And Jesus came, the one who was the Elisha, the double portion. And that's who dwells in us. That's whose anointing we've received. We are the culture shakers, uh, the, the, the... transformers. We are the hope. Amen. And he's asking right now, he's just, he's, he's drawing you in. He's galvanizing us. If you bow your heads, fact is, and close our eyes this morning as we bring this morning to a close. He's asking that, that we would, that we would overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and love not our lives, even unto the death. He's asking that we would continue in this fiery pursuit, that we would continue to love His word, that we would continue to run after Him, that we would, that we would be that church 
that we would be that church, even that people, even that gathering, that assembly, that body, that people will be gathering to. Even as Satan is creating the Full Employment Act for us, people are going to need to be delivered. Who are they going to go to? People are going to need to be set free. They're going to need hope. They're going to need deliverance. Who are they going to go to? They're going to run to those who have a bright, unquenchable light. They're going to come to those who are filled with the salt of the Word of God. Amen. And he's calling that we would be hope-filled, that we would that we would be hope-filled for another revival, that there would be another great awakening. There can be another great awakening. The season that John Wesley came into in his born-again experience was more debased than the one we're experiencing right now. Yet the Holy Spirit of hope filled his heart that there would be a great awakening, that there would be a moving of God, a shaking of God, that, that the unrighteous systems would collapse. 